Facebook ads are one of those copywriting deliverables that neither Rob nor I do. We've run ads, but it's not our specialty. That's why we invited Sarah Sal to be our guest for the 206th episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Sarah is one of our founding members of the Copywriter Underground and one of the most active members in that group, which is why she was also our mole of the month which is one of our most active and engaged members. And we call her a mole of the month because all of most of our members, not all of them, refer to themselves as moles, as the rodent. Sarah is always entertaining in the group and talks frequently about her cats and pizza and entertains all of us, as you'll see in this episode. And this conversation with Sarah gave us plenty to think about when it comes to running our ads on Facebook. We'll get to our interview in just a second, but first we want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Think Tank. That's our mastermind group for copywriters, content writers, brand strategists, anyone who is ready for the training, coaching, and support that they need to grow their business to, say, $200,000 or more. This is the only place where Kira and I provide one-on-two strategy sessions and coaching designed to help you achieve more than ever. If you're interested in learning more about the Think Tank, Drop us an email at rob at thecopywriterclub.com or kira at thecopywriterclub.com and we'll tell you a little more. Let's jump right into our interview with Sarah. Hey, Sarah, let's kick this off with your story. How did you end up as a Facebook ads strategist and copywriter? Curiosity. Like a cat that is looking for trouble. Facebook marketing copywriting had absolutely nothing to do with my background. I studied computer science university, and then I studied applied mathematics, and I really enjoyed research and math, and I actually, for my thesis, wrote nearly 200 pages of math, theorem, formula, proof, and so on. And at some point I was, I'm going to do a PhD. I really enjoyed math. It's nearly like meditation for me. But then I realized once I started that I loved math. I loved research in math. I didn't like academia and uh, job opportunity and asking for grants and so on. So I fall back on my IT and study computer science and I work in IT for a while. Then over like 10 years ago, it was when Facebook apps started working and Everyone was talking about Facebook apps like it's the future. So I started learning about Facebook API. I even joined a few hackathons in Berlin, some of them organized by Facebook, and I won some prizes. And then one thing led to the other because you cannot talk about Facebook apps without marketing. So I started taking a course like Perry Marshall, Facebook marketing course. And before I know it, I'm here and I wrote a lot of articles about Facebook marketing. So that's for Facebook marketing. Copywriting. People often tell me, hey, Sarah, I really love your copy. You're a good copywriter. And my reaction, am I really a copywriter? This is why having articles in some of the best publications like Copy Hacker, Copywriters Club, and so on. But I think it's more curiosity because if you do Facebook marketing, Facebook marketing never live in an ecosystem and it's all with zero interaction with the rest of the world user. So for me, copywriting was curiosity, 
how could they improve Facebook marketing by learning something that has nothing to do with Facebook marketing. And that's how one could be a good marketer, not only only focusing on a very narrow speciality. So it's curiosity. Yeah, I love the combination of those two things. It makes a ton of sense. Before we get into Facebook ads and what you do for your clients there, I'd really like to know a little bit more about how you see what you learned in math and science and how that applies to what you do as a copywriter and a Facebook ad strategist today. Are there connections? Of course, of course. Because marketing is dipping your toe into the water. And there is a discipline of mathematical or artificial intelligence called... I'm trying to remember the name. I know the French name, apprentissage par renforcement. Uh, machine learning, machine learning in English. And it's basically you try something, if you make mistakes, you correct it. If you do something that is good, you keep in the same direction. And it's the same thing with marketing. There is no secret formula. It's test, 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 and have some feedback loop that allow you to improve on what you learned, what you do. So Sarah, you mentioned that you started about 10 years ago with Facebook ads and Facebook ad marketing. When, what was that moment when you felt like, you made it or like, Hey, I know what I'm doing. I, I like, this is my thing. Um, when was that moment for you and your business? I think sometimes you go through life and they're like, Oh, I'm a really a Facebook marketer. Oh, do I do copywriting? And if you enjoy something, you just do it. And then you're like, Oh, okay. Is it really 10 years? Maybe I need to start thinking about, um, Botox. I, I don't say there is, one moment it just like life you, you don't go from zero to zero overnight it's something you build slowly and before you realize it you look back and oh my god am i really that known and famous and even people who jump on calls with me said hey i googled your name oh my god you're everywhere and i'm like okay okay um some yeah some, sometimes it's good to be modest and not be like Hey, I know everything I made. I'm the best because then you never learn. If, if if your mentality is I know everything I made, I have nothing to learn, then kind of you stop learning and then you stop getting better and you stop being good at what you do. Okay, so I want to take that seriously for a minute because there are definitely things around Facebook ads that I can learn and get better at, and and that probably includes everything. So tell us, Sarah, what is it that you need to know or do to get started? writing and doing Facebook ads well? You need to forget about the algorithm. There is an unhealthy obsession and people forget they're talking to a human being. It's nearly like a marketer every day that are robbing a lamb and begging the genie, oh, genie, tell me what's new with Facebook algorithm today. That is not what was yesterday. And they forget this interruption marketing you're talking to a human being you're in starbucks you cannot just walk to somebody and say hey do you want to make more money hey do you want to pay less taxes hey do you want to get rid of back pain because people would look at you strangers and say who you are now imagine you have a conversation with a friend and the conversation is so interesting that the person next to you will turn their head and they would say, oh, okay, I need to put my book down, my laptop down, and 
listen in. That's like the biggest mindset shift, I would say. Yeah, let's talk more about the copy side of writing Facebook ads because it's something that I've never specialized in. And even now with the Copywriter Club, I feel like we throw our ads together last minute and they could always be a lot better. So can you just talk through for copywriters listening, if they're writing Facebook ad copy for their own business or for their clients, what are some of the elements that we should include and think about and what should we avoid um, beyond what you just mentioned about the mindset shift, you know, and, and having, making it conversational like you would in a coffee shop, but what are the actual tactical um, changes we can make? Yeah. Number one, a good ad doesn't look like an ad. No one joined Facebook to read ads. So that's like very, very, very important. Number two, Facebook is interruption marketing and you need to think of Google versus email versus Facebook. And that's a big mistake copywriter, for example, make. Um, Google, somebody looked for a product, it's just demand fulfillment. And just raising your hand, say, hey, I'm really good at satisfying that demand or giving you what you look for would work. Email, you might have a relationship with the person receiving the email for the last six months. Um, Facebook is about building, generating uh, the demand. And one error is people just stay towards the product or service. I give you two examples, one from the Shark Tank, one from Strategizer. Strategizer is a business book. It's a recipe and Lausanne wrote a book about business model that sold over 5 million copies. But despite being very famous and having a book translated in over 30 language, their ad was, hey, we have a conference about business model. See you in two weeks in San Francisco. For that, they spent over $4,000 to get one sales. One conference ticket sale was $2,000. And it's just stating what's the product or service. I changed and I told a story about oil companies. I said, last year, oil company, over 100 oil company went bankrupt except I think the name was Dong Energy or something like that from Denmark that went to the stock market with $16 billion valuation because they diversified from oil when oil prices was high. Want to know how similar company do it? Come to our conference. And that moved them from making 40 cents for each $1 they spent to over $18. And I wrote a case study for Addis Prince about it. The other is about Shark Tank company and she was saying Sarah I think I just need to find the correct audience from experience 90% of the time when people say I need to find the correct audience and audience matter a lot in marketing but more often than not they have a content problem not an audience problem and the ad was like hey do you have back pain I could help you and really using storytelling the way you imagine you're reading a page from somebody's diary works really well. The other thing I see ads that are really rich in claim, and just making claim is not enough. You need to educate people. People need to read something. And at the end of reading it, they're like, hey, I learned something new I didn't know beforehand. I, I give you three strategies, so it's nothing to be good about Facebook marketing. It's common sense. One, what is a misconception in 
saloon industry. Another one, what is that question that you might get way too many times to the point you're sick of answering it and you wish you could send somebody a link and you say, just read that. I don't want to answer that question for the hundred time. The other one, interview your customer because I said an ad doesn't look like an ad because 30% of Facebook users are using ad blocker. It's, hey, if you interview people who already gave you money or people who already have the problem, then their language would be more similar to the language of somebody who have the same problem than the language of a marketer. And if I could give a very, very, very concrete example, because I helped uh, with Trace rewriting the ads for the copywriter accelerator, I had an interview with Gina. The problem with interview, you interview someone, if you say, how was your experience? They're going to say, oh, my experience was amazing. That course is fantastic. But it's a claim. Why people would believe the claim if they don't know the person? So what I ask, okay, what is one thing you are doing wrong in your business? What did you change in it as a result of taking the accelerator course? And what was the outcome? And then you keep interrogating like a very, 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 very curious mind, like saying, hey, no, 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 I want to interrogate you because I want to know all the secrets without giving a real banker the $2,000. Uh, uh, it's also to write better ads. And she would say things like, oh, one thing I learned is how to make really good proposal. Oh, you tell me more. Oh, you first learn what's the client goal, why they want a product or service, why do they want the copy, and then you help them achieve that goal. And she said, oh, that's why... I was able to get an $8,000 um, contract even after the COVID crisis. And actually, this was really powerful because Tracy, that she wrote the ad with me, um, she ended up borrowing $2,000 from her father so she could join the course. And before doing those interviews, before listening to those interviews, she didn't plan on joining the accelerator. And then after she helped me write a few ads, she was like, yeah, I'm really tempted to borrow some money from my father. I'll ask if he agree because I think that's a rental that will push me to my next uh, career. It's basically interrogation, like if you're with a friend. Yeah, I love this process that you're talking about as far as you know the research goes. The very best research and the very best products, you know, as you go through that, oftentimes it convinces us that we could also benefit from the products. I'm wondering, though, with Facebook, are there other tools that can help you with research that we don't have for, you know, a regular copywriting project, things like the Facebook audiences or group membership, things like that? Do you use that or do you just ignore it and you you do standard research into who the customer is and the stories that they want to hear? No, there is a lot of places and I, and also I see it's like Marcus said, hey, I need voice of customer, I need someone to interview and they forget that there is a lot of content that exists outside of customer interview that does really take a lot of time. And often I start, does a client have a webinar, YouTube, um, eBooks? Uh, and I would read that and I would just look for an aha moment because I would take my marketing hat off, imagine that I'm a user and each time I have, aha, that's really interesting. I take a note and then after I took too much note, I start thinking which could be a really good ad. Other things, it's like comments, sections, um, I, I give you an example because comment section is amazing feedback 
loop and I know it's a question that will come later, but I'll give you an example. I have a client that have been running language courses, the case study I wrote for copy hackers. And I said something about learning Spanish. I don't remember the exact ad. And somebody left a naughty comment and said, the best way to learn Spanish is to sleep with Spanish women. And I'm like, oh, that's a good ad. And of course, I didn't use the same words because Facebook will never approve the ad. But the ad was like, is dating a native speaker a good way to learn the language? And I just Googled pro of dating a native speaker, con of dating a native speaker. And some of the con people said, no, it doesn't help you because you would need to speak to an administration. Let's say you're in Mexico or in Spain. And instead of practicing the language because you say, hey, my Spanish is bad, say, hey, darling, could you please do the phone call with me? Which means you never practice the language, but there are also um, pro. It's basically just having a curious mind and acting like you really want to learn about the niche. You're saying you're pulling this these ideas from the comments in Facebook. Are you do you mean you're looking at previous ads? You know, like we would look at our previous ads to pull out the best comments. Yeah, or the worst. Um, and or then the worst. Those. Okay. So then maybe so maybe that's my next question then is how how do we get more of those comments and engagement for the sake of pulling out this voice of customer data? Like I know we're focused on sales with the ads and conversions, but it would also be great to get more of that data out of our ads. How can we do that? Because I feel like most of our comments aren't actually helpful. They're just like usually insulting us. So, <laughs> um, those aren't useful as far as voice of customer data, or maybe it is. No, I mean, in a sense, sale, sometimes you, it depends on the product, um, our product. You walk in the shopping mall if you can. I know there is a lockdown now. You look at a dress or high heels or maybe a beautiful French pastry and like, oh, wow, that looks delicious. And it's just an impulse buy. Then there are products that is about education. And it's really about education. And often I would look, this is a mistake business owner make. They make something, they get bad comment where people say, off don't spam me this is a scam but if you teach somebody something they didn't know know before reading the ad that's when you come and get different i'll give you an example talking about misconception one ad i talked about is kids don't learn a language more easily than adults and there are research about that it's just that the kid know no language they have no choice but practicing the language and think about it. You have a two-year-old kid. They want an ice cream or a sandwich, and you have no idea what they're saying. They would keep trying and crying and kicking on the floor till they get that ice cream. And after 60 minutes, like, just say, ah, cream, ah, key. And you're like, oh, God, ice cream. Uh, well, if you're an adult, let's say, I don't know, you go to Shanghai and you go to Starbucks and say, Royale cafe and the person said what cafe you only know to say I want a coffee but not what that and you don't understand you're not going to cry on the floor of Starbucks and say I want a coffee till we get your coffee you will just switch to English instead of taking that talking Mandarin example and that's why adults tend to learn slower not because their brain is not able to learn a language faster and we wrote an ad about that 
And some people disagreed, but they didn't disagree with us. They didn't insult us. They didn't say, this is scam. Some said, oh, rubbish. I couldn't learn Spanish, but my five-year-old kid that moved to Mexico with me or Acapulco now speak fluently. And the other person said, no, 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 no. This is not what the ad is trying to say. The ad is trying to save that the human brain of an adult because they already understand what's a language, what's a grammar, what's a structure. They could learn, but adults are busy. Not The problem is being more busy than a kid, not that they cannot learn a language. And then the comment gets better. And another example, I run ads for somebody who sells software to medical clinic and one webinar was about how do you manage your time to see more patients. And people were aggressive and saying, bullshit, we're going to get burned out and the quality of the care will be horrible. Um, this is what we call late capitalism. How dare you? I didn't get angry or say, oh my God, I'm trying to teach those ungrateful bastards something and they're not grateful for the ad, they said, oh, maybe the ad didn't explain what it is. The second ad, you know what? If you're in a restaurant, you're a chef. The chef doesn't see the client, doesn't take the order, doesn't wash the dishes. The chef does, the chef does have a shoe chef, does something very particular, but that allows the chef to get more customers. And that's what you should do as a doctor. And suddenly the comments were not negative, they were positive, like, oh, wow, that makes sense. So it's all about a feedback loop, but you need to teach somebody something new that they're grateful for. As the ad writer, do you jump in and answer comments or do you leave that up to your clients? Up to my client, because I don't know the niche as good, you see. Um, I'm not somebody who knows the niche, the product, the service, the market, where I eat, breathe, eat it 24-7. So the client would be better. And two, I mean, if I was going to answer every single uh, comment, I would never sleep because that's like a full-time um, job. But that's also about the process. It's I would pitch the client angles. But before writing, I say, do you approve it? Because otherwise people will feel that the ad is written by somebody who's not an expert in the niche. Imagine you write for computer security and you know nothing about computer security and you're trying to convince the CTO of big company and banks, it's not going to work. Now, if you have some content and it appears like an excerpt, but it's revised by the client because they eat, breathe the niche, then it works better. But I don't answer the comment because that's like a totally different job I don't want. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. Um, and but you were talking about it, you know, <laughs> with so much familiarity. And I was like, wait a second, are you actually answering the comments? So, uh, really, I guess the next part of the question then is, what can we do? And, and I know you wrote a blog post for this that's on our website. But what can we do to encourage more comments so that you know we can respond and create those conversations on the ads that we're running? Teach people, teach people something that they don't know answer people misconception um, outside of facebook what is the question what is the top 10 question people are asking you tell story and people will have an opinion about what you're saying similar to the kids example people are going to disagree with us that that's the best thing i might write an ad and say a vegan diet is healthy i'm not going to make a claim and just say vegan diet is healthy 
No, people will say, rubbish, you vegan are preachy. Now, if I say uh, those are the hormone and antibiotic that get into your system, and that's why kids are reaching puberty um, eight years earlier, and then I give a whole story about how people may be... um, 100 years ago, they had a different lifestyle. They didn't stay in an office all day. Then that would start a conversation. But you don't need to make a claim. You need to be able to back the claim. Let's jump in here and talk about this tactic of encouraging comments on a Facebook ad. So, Kara, you mentioned the blog post that Sarah wrote for the Copywriter Club site which she, in which she talked about how you know, one of her ads got hundreds of comments and the engagement that that drove and how it you know, um, basically increased the, the influence and the um, reach of that ad. And I'm just wondering, like, is this something that we should be doing? It's, it's not very scalable. Uh, you know, if you've got 100 ads ru- running, there's no way that you could be posting comments on all of them. But, um, you know, maybe we should start, given that we get some comments on our ads, maybe we should start jumping into uh, Facebook and commenting on our own ads. What do you think? I probably won't be doing that, but <laughs> you should go for it. I think it makes sense. And Sarah, I mean, it, it works. Sarah has proven that it works. It's something that we should consider because it does encourage engagement and can also help if you're really intentional with your comments, you could speak to misconceptions and overcome objections and hesitations in the comments. So I get that and I agree and I know it works with the algorithm. But for me personally, I when we run ads, I do see some of the comments. And for some reason, our Facebook ad manager said that we attract a lot of bizarre comment commenters and comments. I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's just like something about the two of us that irks people or annoys people. Maybe it's some of our images that we've used that are a little bit different. But we get a lot of just bizarre comments. So I've learned to actually not pay attention to those. I don't think that is where I should focus my time because it doesn't it just doesn't help me uh, have a productive day. But maybe we should have somebody looking at that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned that mostly joking because like Sarah was saying, that's not really the role of the copywriter. But as copywriters, you know, if we were working on a Facebook campaign, that's the kind of thing that we might encourage our clients to do because if it does increase engagement and it increases the reach of the ad, it can make that ad far more profitable. And like you said, it is an opportunity for a product owner to go in and correct misconceptions that maybe people have uh, or objections that they might raise before they click through and actually purchase a product of some kind. So something to think about, uh, certainly something to encourage our clients to do, even if as copywriters, we don't necessarily do it ourselves. So what else stood out to you with those last uh, couple of comments that Sarah has been making? Well, she talked about the importance of creating conversational copy in Facebook ads. And I think that's a term that we throw out as copywriters frequently. Um, Conversational, let's make it sound real and authentic. And so I was just thinking as she was talking through it, it's, it's natural for some copywriters to write that way. And so they're probably listening and they're already doing it. But for anyone who struggles to write conversational copy, it could help just to to kind of do what Sarah was talking about and even record conversations with friends, with family members. And just, I mean, I've joked around with 
family members and friends about just transcribing, recording my entire life and transcribing all of it just to pull in voice of customer data. And I was trying to think of how much that would actually cost to do that. Um, but it could be really helpful to record your own conversations, to capture phrases that you could use in your client work or in your own marketing, if that's something that you struggle with, because she's she's right on. Like that is what actually grabs attention in Facebook ad copy, not the marketing speak. Yeah, I 100% agree on this. And this is where that voice of customer information really comes in handy because you need to speak the way that your customers are speaking, the way that your customers are reading. And we've even had comments on our own ads, you know, people who say, oh, you know, that's not the way that you should be writing something. Well, that may be true, you know, as writers, you know, we would like to think that uh, everybody uses perfect English, perfect grammar, whatever, but, um, you know, that's just not the reality. And so writing ads for people as opposed to for algorithms or for robots uh, means sometimes not following the grammar rules. It means, you know, ending a sentence with a preposition or starting a sentence with an and or other conjunction, all the things that our fifth and eighth grade English teachers told us never to do. Those rules don't apply when we're talking about copywriting in general, and certainly not in a, an ad platform like Facebook. And while that's a relief for people like me who like to break those rules, I think it's also important to know what those rules are, especially if you're not familiar with them. I know I'm uh, constantly trying to learn all of the rules so that I can break them and I actually know what I'm doing and being really intentional about breaking those rules too. Okay, so as we're talking about breaking, let's break in again and talk about how Sarah creates angles. Could you talk about how you've seen Facebook ad copy and the images uh, change over the last maybe two to three years beyond what you've already shared about, you know, education and really teaching and kind of giving people a reason to pay attention and hooking them in? But what else are some of the big changes as far as what was working, but it's no longer working today? I would say what was working 10 years ago still work today. And what was working 50 years ago, still work today. Um, Facebook is just a medium. And if tomorrow Facebook disappear, there would still be interruption marketing one way or another. I mean, in a certain sense, a snail mail you didn't ask for is another form of interruption marketing. And I'm going to give a very, very, very specific example. Maybe it was 30, 40 years ago, cinema used to make popcorn with coconut oil because it made it all smooth and so on. And the health administration said, oh my God, that had this many grams of saturated fat. If I said 50, 50 grams of saturated fat, you have no idea. Is that too much? Is that too little? Then they said, well, that's the same as eating an egg, bacon, sausages, a burger, steaks, and some fries combined. And that made the first page of New York Times, CNN, uh, you call it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the power of analogy. You take something people understand that we could visualize and you use it in the language, including in the ad copy. And that's something that worked 30 years ago. And I'm sure there are people who use analogy to explain uh, concepts people don't understand 500 years ago. And I think in terms of communication, what's going to work 10 years ago still work today. This is why I said the key is to master how you talk 
to people and forget there is an idol. Of course, the idol, the changes would be that now you could run video ads and maybe five years ago, you could not run video ads. That before some bidding, like what we call OCPM didn't exist and today exists, that tracking didn't exist back then. Actually, when I started Facebook ad, Facebook Pixel, the major result didn't exist. Now it exists. But if we talk about how do you talk to a human being? Okay, you need to touch people on multiple channels. Maybe Facebook is not enough. Maybe you need to have a webinar. Maybe you need to have email marketing. Maybe you need to head them on YouTube. Maybe you need to use video and not only text. I had a client and the same client uh, mentioned copy hacker and this nothing to do with Facebook um, ad. He had a product and a webinar. Hey, do you want to speak Spanish more fluently? And it did okay. He would get like five, he would do a webinar and get $5,000 in sale. He sent a survey to his email list. People couldn't care less about being fluent. If they were in Mexico, in Acapulco, in Barcelona, if they're able to order a coffee and a chocolate croissant, they were happy. They couldn't care less about listening to politician and politician debating taxes, race, cut, foreign policy, and etc. And that was the difference between making $5,000 in sales and 20. But the biggest problem, people said, hey, I've been learning Spanish for all those years, and let your speaker speak too fast, or they answered me back in English. And then by having a webinar, a landing page, ad copy about, hey, are you struggling with understanding native speakers? He made something like eight to $1,000 in sales in two weeks. Nothing to do with Facebook, you see? It's like, maybe in five years, MySpace is the biggest social network again, and such principle as serving an email list to know what people are struggling with, we still works. So you want to find something that works independent of the social network or the algorithm or what changes Facebook had because changing tactics might add a 5-10% more to your revenue. Changing strategies is what will 10x uh, your revenue. Yeah, that makes sense. So Sarah, I'm curious about the different kinds of ads that we can run on Facebook and what you've seen being most effective. You know, I know you can promote a post that has been on your page or uh, in some cases in your group. Uh, obviously there are text ads, text ads with images uh, and also video ads. How do they compare to each other and which ones are the most effective? Which ones should uh, advertisers be doing? And maybe which one should copywriters be selling their clients on? Often when I get that question, I tell people, ketchup or caramel sauce? Do you want caramel sauce on your burger? Do you want ketchup inside your cereal? It's all about context. You cannot say video is better than text is, or lookalike is better than interest targeting or dark images better than images with pink background. And I tell people, Use whatever you're better at. Some people, when it comes to video, are great speakers. They have good energy. They have good software editing software. They could capture people's attention for 10 minutes. And other people on video, maybe after two minutes, the person with bad insomnia fall asleep for 10 hours. It's all about testing. Never make assumptions. I always tell people, test, 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 and then let people vote with their 
with their mouse. Let the numbers be. Don't don't make assumption that something is going to work better. And that's why many people fail at Facebook. They're like, hey, what's working? Look alike, video, carousel image, retargeting. And they don't test on every single business, even a business in the same niche as you. Might, what works for them might not work for you because people might know your name, might not know your name. You might have a different audience. Um, here, here is a fun fact. I had a client selling some healthy snacks and we spent a lot of money and I look at the dashboard like, oh my God, we didn't get any sale. I was like, no, 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 no. We got a lot of sales. It just happened. People Google my name. After they Google my name, the first result is on Amazon. And as we run an ad, the sale from Amazon skyrocketed, but sales on Amazon is never tracked on Facebook because Amazon want to keep everything like a black box and never share the data because that's what makes them um, money. And this is just to say, people see an ad on you. You think they're not going to Google your name? If you have a product that costs $500, you know, $1,000, $2,000, or even $30, people might Google your name. And what they find when they Google your name is different than the other person. And this is why you cannot um, say what worked for person A is going to work for person B. I'd love to hear more about how you work. And you've touched on it a little bit already, but I know we worked with you year ago, a couple of years ago now, and you presented these different angles as part of your process before diving fully into your work. And I, I love that approach that you presented these different creative concepts. Uh, so c- can you share your process when you're working with a client, especially for copywriters listening who want to do what you do? Sure. So number one, angles, I call them aha moment. So I might it's, like, it's not a draft, it's even like a pre-draft, very high-level pitch. Think about it this way. If somebody had a wedding, you don't want to come to the wedding with a strawberry cake and that person say, I'm allergic to strawberry. Or you don't want to come with a cake that is milk and egg with it and the person say, I am vegan. So number one is study the content, interview client, look at the comment section, answer misconception in the industry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then you say, oh, I have those 10 ideas. Which one do you like? Which one do you hate? Because the client might say, you know what? I love number one. I love number five, but number seven, please never talk about it because I might get sued if I say that um, publicly. Then number one, it's writing the draft. And I always try to work with somebody else. Why? Because if I wrote the angle and I say, please write that one, I want to make sure I communicated that clearly. And then when I read it back, I could say, oh, that's what I meant. Or, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't mean that. Please modify it because it's like I'm the first test or the other person the first test and the other thing. We're very biased in our company. It's so easy to criticize other people but it's very hard to criticize your own work. And then we get the client to review it and say, hey, uh, you could get one or two rounds of edit. And this is really important because you want the final ad to look like somebody who eat, breathe, and sleep the niche. And if a client who work and is the expert doesn't review it, you might slip. I give you. I give you an example. Once I wrote an ad and said it's really hard 
for veterinary to get a job. And that was true a few years ago. But right now, it's that way around. People who have a veterinary clinic struggle to uh, hire anyone. And if it wasn't reviewed by the client, people would be like, hey, you know absolutely nothing about the niche. So you want the app to look and sound like someone who's an expert in the niche. So Sarah, I'm curious, what changes have you made in your business or what investments have you made in yourself that have made the biggest difference in what you do and how you do it over the past 10 years? Copywriting. I mean, like I said, I'm not sure if I call myself copywriting or not, but I took a crazy amount of copywriting uh, course uh, and even went to conference. I went to Italy to Laura Balgray retreat. I took a $2,000 course from Perry Marshall. Of course, I'm part of the underground uh, community. I took copy hacker, uh, copy school courses. And it's all about, if I took a course about ad management, about Facebook ad, about how to grow a freelance business, I'm sure every single Facebook ad strategist is in the same group, applying the same tactic. But it's only when I'm curious, like, oh, I'm not a copywriter. I really wonder what copywriters are doing. It's where I would learn something that other than know that would make much more impact. Can you talk about the packages you currently offer for your clients? Are you working with them um, long-term and how do you structure those packages? And if you don't mind sharing, how much do you charge for your packages? I, I never work long-term and here's why. I mean, I have clients. I've been working for three, four, five years. I never jail them in a contract where I say the minimum you hire me is three months, six months, etc. And just say, let's work it one month, see what's your ROI. If your ROI is positive, you could keep me. If your ROI is negative, why you don't want to be shamed and like, oh my God, I'm doing work for which you're not happy. I'm doing work for which you're not getting ROI. And now because you need to give me all that money, you're not happy. I'd rather have let's say, client retention because I get them a positive ROI. And you know what? There are businesses where they might get a positive ROI for five months and then they stop having a positive ROI. Then it's better for both of us to split away. The other thing, from time to time, I sell ad copy, but this is like a very tiny percentage of my business, maybe less than 5%. What I do the most is manage ads and that's i take a percentage of the ad spend because it gives me something flexible i don't like to say oh this is a one thousand dollar two thousand dollar three thousand dollar package and with that you get to send me only 50 email and you get to only request five changes no you want something flexible i mean someone using facebook might spend five dollars per day and get positive roi and if they spend 50 they stop getting a positive roi someone might be spending one thousand dollar per day and still getting a positive roi and you, you, you want, I want to reward myself based on that why I get people, not on a fixed price. And you know what? If one month I, I have way, 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 way work because I manage a bigger ad spend, then I make more money. And then you have businesses that are seasonal. I mean, in December, people couldn't care less about losing their weight. They're, oh my God, I'm eating all that cream, all that chocolate. And then in January, I'm going to train. And if there is a seasonal business that is not making money and it allows some flexibility for 
them. So that, that's what worked for me. I'm not saying that's how you should do it or not. Often I tell people, don't look at whatever other people charge. Look if you could justify it, if you could justify the right, if you could say this is worth it, if people say this is too expensive or this is too little, but I like to tie it to make sure people are getting an ROI for my work. Sarah, will you tell us about some of the mistakes that you've made along the way as you've you know, become a sought-after consultant and copywriter? What, where did you fail? I'm trying to think about it. Probably a lot. Probably a lot. I, I think one of the biggest mistakes, and that's really, really, really on, I, I just copied what people said. People used to do engagement for the sake of engagement. People used to teach you click like if you love potato and i used to make those type of ads just for the sake of engagement but that's wrong and I, even today if i look back i have clients who post random thing on their fan page that have nothing to do with their business and they're like oh but it's good for the engagement I'm like, so what i'm like imagine i'm in new york i'm giving a speech I said, you know what, you New Yorker, your pizza is 100 times better than Chicago deep dish pizza. I couldn't understand how they call that monstrosity of pizza in Chicago. I'm sure a lot of people will stand up and applaud me and say, good, Sarah. But if I said that, who would hire me? Just because I told people that their pizza is better than another city pizza, no one would come afterward and say, thank you, Sarah. This talk about the pizza is why you should hire me as a consultant. No, what makes people want to hire me as a consultant is they read an article about how a company failed at their ads and how now they're making more money and the before and after, before I worked with them. So that's one of the mistakes that I used to copy other people. People used to say that ad copy should be short and I only got good results and I'm like, you know what? Hey, I'm a mathematician. If you say that short copy work, Give me mathematical proof. Mathematics, you could never say two plus two equal four. Then I conclude that two plus five is also equal four. No, you need to come with a firm. You need to come with a mathematical proof. If you don't, we assume two plus two equal four only for those two numbers. And it's when I became more curious and I tried what people said, oh, this doesn't work, that I got uh, better success. What else are you doing to find great clients beyond that um, you know you know you've worked with big names celebrity clients like click funnels you mentioned a couple of them earlier strategizer hootsuite uh, what else what else could we be doing and could copywriters be doing to land more desirable cl- clients right like more of those big name clients that some copywriters want to work with it started with both facebook and google group and i didn't do it because i wanted to get client I would join a course and I just really enjoyed saying what worked or even saying what I failed or asking for help but if you think about content think about it like losing weight you hear that going for a walk is great but if you don't love walking you're not passionate about walking you might leave the house walk for 10 minutes and say okay I walk tomorrow I walk longer And then after three days, you lose motivation. And they say, you know what? Going for a walk doesn't work. Now, if you really love walking, I'm like, oh my God, that lake is so beautiful. Let me circle that lake and see what other lake I could find. Then suddenly you're like, 
oh, wow, I couldn't believe it's been already two hours I've been walking. This is really amazing. I love the uh, adrenaline rush. I should do that every day. And that's how you lose weight. So when I would answer people comment in Facebook group, it was something I was opinionated about. I was passionate about. As in people saying, hey, the algorithm stopped working. I'm like, for God's sake, this is interruption marketing. If you keep giving people the same message over and over and over again, people get tired of it and this have nothing to do with the algorithm. And people started noticing that this is how I got actually invited in a Perry Marshall webinar that was given by Keith Francis, the course that people paid $2,000 plus because Keith Francis and Ben said, Sarah, I love your contribution to our Google group. And how I end up working for Hootsuite and Adespresso, which is, hey, if you're doing Facebook ads, Hootsuite is the biggest tool for managing organic social media. And it's also the biggest tool to managing ads outside the Facebook ad manager. I was in John Luther group and I would just answer people's questions because I had passion answering their question. I didn't do it with an agenda. Oh my God, I need to answer every week five questions to get clients. No, and before I know it, oh my God, I spent half an hour writing a reply. And this is when a colleague, uh, Antonio, who's also working for Adespresso, he reached out to me and he said, Sarah, I'm first going to post on Facebook. I said, I need a Facebook ad expert. Everyone will raise their hand and say, I am an ad expert. But reading the reply you get in the group, I could really tell you have an experience and you spend a lot of money and you got people uh, results. So it's, it's the same about creating content. I sometimes get a call with a company who want to hire me. I look at their website. I see maybe 50 blog posts. I'm like, hey, are you getting any results from that? And they say, no, I just pay somebody $100 and they write me two blog posts per week and that's it. Um, some of the blog posts I wrote for Copy Hacker, I didn't measure how much time it took me, but maybe it took me like 50 hours. And this is the difference between saying, oh, this is a necessity, and between saying, no, 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 I'm going to do it good because I love doing that and I love teaching people. And it's the same with ad copy. Everyone used to say, ad copy need to be short. And I was sick of that. So I wrote a very long uh, blog post debunking that for copy hackers. And because it was so urgent, I think it got like 83 backlink active campaign link to it. And now people actually referencing that article to say, oh, by the way, long ad copy work. Want to know why? Go read that article. Sarah, when you're working with big clients and maybe even small clients, what do your packages look like? And how do you price what you offer them? 25% of the ad spend. You have a package of certain number of ads, that kind of thing? No, no. Because... A lot of my clients, I write ads for them. I don't charge them for it. Why? Because better ads allow them to spend more. So the way it started, I would look at ad client ads and like, oh my God, that's really bad. And I would start with another content to rewrite it. And suddenly we're able to spend more. And for me, the ad was about retention that, hey, I have clients I work with for a few years. And if nonstop, I didn't start writing ads, maybe I would spend most of my time instead of getting my current result, trying to pitch uh, or cold call people or pitch on LinkedIn. The other thing, an ad that do well can allow the client to spend $5,000 per month instead of spending $700 per month. 
So for me, just something as a tool that get people more online, that's how it worked uh, for me. But so far, I don't charge them. Would I charge them in the future? I don't know. But for now, it was more by pure concern about how could I get my clients uh, ROI and it pay for itself, but indirectly. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in that. What does that conversation look like when you're talking with your client and, and telling them it's going to be 25% of ad spend, no upfront costs? Obviously, there's risk there for you. There is an upfront cost, uh, but that changed. But that changed based on my demand. So I don't want to say it here because, hey, if, if tomorrow I'm really in huge demand, I don't want people saying, hey, you said this is the cost. Or if I notice that I need to charge more to be able to write more ads because I want to some contract some part of the ads. But the main part that stick with people, it's much cheaper than agency that charge a flat fee, that's for sure. 25%, some resist it. And then I tell them, hey, if you don't think that me helping you will improve your result, cut your cost per conversion, or increase your number of conversion by at least 25%, we shouldn't be talking to each other. If you're looking for a 2% improvement, maybe don't hire anyone and 2% is not worth it. So this is why I said earlier, it's can you justify uh, your price? And I have the experience I have. It's like in case of strategizer, I improved the result by 36x. So the 25% is tiny. And actually they got sales nearly for three quarters of a million dollars because of the ads I wrote and my management and so on. The other thing, I have clients and I have honest conversation. Like, I know I charge more than the other agencies, but you know what? The other agencies would make your app, they would grab two lines, and that's it. And then they jump on the other client because they have 20 clients. Me, I would spend two hours reading your ebook and then spending an extra hour watching your webinar and come with ads that work better, convert better, that make you look like an expert. And this is why the 25% is. Uh, justified because my because when people microwave ads, no, 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 me, it's a slow cooker, and that slow cooker is. I mean, there are companies I worked in a case study on Shark Tank, uh, uh, on AdExpress, or a Shark Tank company used to lose money because Facebook became more expensive, more competitive, and by helping them improve their ad, suddenly they were profitable uh, again, and that's the value of the slow. Uh, cooker as opposed, I'm taking a lot of clients and I'm going to charge less percentage because I'm a volume business and I'm McDonald's. It's how do you position yourself and how do you explain it? Okay, let's pause right here and talk about how to find clients by helping in Facebook groups. What stood out to you, Rob? So this is something uh, that we see a lot of copywriters talk about doing, but maybe we don't do very well. Uh, and this is something I think that you've pointed out that Sarah does really well in our groups in particular, and I think in other groups on Facebook where she jumps in, she offers ideas, she offers, you know, even strategies. Um, she doesn't uh, immediately drive people to direct messages or whatever, but she's just always sharing her knowledge and things that she thinks might work. And that I think creates some authority and notoriety around her so that people start to recognize her as an expert in her space. Yeah. And you don't have to do that in Facebook groups, especially if you're not on the Facebook platform and you're not in those communities. That's where I know we see Sarah frequently, but you could do it in any forum in Slack groups too. And I think the whole point of it is just showing up and um, giving a little bit more time and attention to people's questions than everyone else 
is giving. Um, so Sarah does that so well, and it's 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 good to hear that it actually works for her and helps her land projects too. Also, Sarah mentioned how she creates different angles when she's working with a new client, or maybe when she's working with all of her clients. But I know because we've worked with Sarah before on Facebook ad copy, I loved working with her and um, seeing her process and even analyzing her process as marketers um, as we do. And it was really cool to see that she presents multiple angles for her Facebook ad copy during the first phase of the project. And so as a client, as I was in the client's chair, um, it's almost this relief to know that um, Sarah had thought about all these different approaches and that um, she wanted my feedback to see which ones I thought could work best. And it felt like it was, it was more of a collaboration and there was less pressure to kind of just like nail a couple ads and move forward and test them. So I think her approach could be something that, yes, it works for Facebook ad copy to, to nail the angle before you move forward and write all the ad copy, but it could also work well for sales pages. You could do that with new clients and introduce um, you know, three different angles for the lead or for the headline, or you could do that with email copy. And I, you know, you might not need to do that with clients that you've worked with repeatedly, but for new clients, it's just, it could benefit both parties to approach it that way. Yeah. I think this goes back to what Sarah was saying about writing for humans in that we never know how humans are going to react. And, you know, if you have one idea you may think it's great, but the audience may not resonate with that idea. But if you're throwing out six, seven, eight, ten, you know, however many ideas, even two or three, you give yourself a better chance at success. And that's one thing that Sarah does really well in coming up with just a variety of ideas to try and to test. Another thing that stood out to me um, was the way that Sarah prices herself, you know, by not taking a fee uh, or at least until recently not taking a fee, but by taking a percentage of, you know, what the ad spend is, she's basically saying to a client that she's going to get them results that are at least equal to that percentage that she gets. And if she doesn't, obviously she's going to lose that client very quickly. And so it's a really interesting way and almost a subtle way to guarantee a uh, a, a response or to guarantee a certain level of engagement in the work that she does. A lot of times we see copywriters who, you know, are asking, you know, should I, should I guarantee my work or, you know, should I offer my clients, you know, some level of, you know, conversions or improvement or whatever. And while that can be a really difficult thing to say and to guarantee like flat out on the line, by the way that Sarah prices herself, she's really saying, I'm going to increase your conversions the click-throughs, your sales by 25%, or you're not going to be working with me uh, in the very near future. So it's kind of an interesting idea that maybe more copywriters might want to consider. Okay, let's jump back in for a few final minutes of our conversation with Sarah. Sarah, I know, you know we're almost out of time here, but I'd love to hear more about your experience in the underground because you've been in there with us from the beginning and um, you mentioned you know you're a part of a couple different communities and you've grown as those communities have grown can you just share from your experience what it's like in the underground for anyone listening who may or may not be interested in joining that community imagine it's a very friendly coffee shop where everyone else is a copywriter and just by virtue of having coffee and having conversation, you're going to learn a lot. And one important point, copywriters, 
are good at writing other people's copy, that are great at criticizing other people's copy and saying why it's bad and what they need to improve, but they're horrible at writing their own copy because it's nearly like a cat that is petting themselves on the head. And one of the things that underground had me a lot is the critique you gave me for my website. And I even go on podcast interview and people are like, wow, I really love your copy. It's one of the best I read. So that's really, really, really important. The other thing is like when you said, Sarah, you have an amazing process for writing out because we work together. I know your process is amazing. You need to have to um, explain your process. And it never occurred to me to explain that process. And then I came with all that. This is why number one is important. This is why the review is important. This is why the angle is important. You know what? I am no microwave. I'm a slow cooker. I do a masterpiece. And this is why the ad works better. So the whole thing from getting feedback to my... Because people like a big podcast before they interview me, they check my website and before the interview gets recorded, they're like, you're really a good copywriter. Your copy is great. And I think, okay, that's thank you to the underground. And the other is like, yeah, getting somebody who could criticize your work. And I know from the underground, people like, oh my God, I have that problem. Client paying late. Client wanting to negotiate my price. Client ignoring me. And you have like a private community where you could ask questions where you might not want to put that in your public Facebook profile for everyone to see. And that's like worthless. Well, no, not worthless. Is it worthless? Worth a lot. Yeah, worth a lot. Yeah, there, there are definitely a lot of scripts and things that people share in that group that are really helpful as far as client conversations go. So uh, I'm glad that, that you value that as well. Um, you are known in the underground as somebody who likes uh, cats just a little bit. You've posted uh, pictures uh, once or twice of, of your favorite cat. Tell us a little bit about your love of cats and how that plays out in your life and maybe even in your copy life. Actually, 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 actually funny. Um, one article I helped write uh, for Ad Espresso was the most shared article Ad Espresso ever had. And it was like, what cat teaches about marketing? And I would do parallels, like saying, hey, there is a cat jumping on my lap, not letting me work. I'm like, hey, kitty, hey, kitty, hey, kitty, there's some food. And then once the cat leaves the room, I close the door and I work. This worked only once. And then the cat like, no, 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 no. You want me to leave you alone? You take the food, you open the tin. I want to see the meat on the floor. I don't trust me. You shitted me once, not twice. And then I, I wrote about parallels and people loved it because it's unique. The other thing, cats, the naughtier, the better. I mean, it's better than Mr. Bean comedy when the cat annoys somebody else than when they annoy you. And sometimes you go to a cat cafe, you had a busy, hectic day. I used to live in Hong Kong and work there. And I might have a really, really, really hectic day. Just seeing a naughty cat jump on the table and tell the other person, no, 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 that's my food, that's not yours, really make you laugh and you forget about everything else and you have energy again. My son is obsessed with cats, so we may be getting we may be getting a cat soon too. Oh, to add to our family. All right, I've got to jump in right here to talk about the cat. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to talk about cats. I know, and in the conversation, we were talking about how my son really wants a cat. And so, update, we 
are getting a cat. We're picking up our kitty this weekend. It's a, a Snow Lynx bangle. Apparently, they act more like dogs, and um, they're quite entertaining. I don't really know what we're getting ourselves into, but we are adding the cat to our family. I know, Rob, you are not a big fan of cats, no. um, but Sarah is, and Sarah gets it. And so um, I'm really excited about having a cat because the last time I had one was when I was a kid. And so it's it's a pretty big moment, Rob. Yeah, well, for me. I have to admit, if I was going to get a cat, I'd probably want to get a cat that acts like a dog because I'm, I'm definitely a dog person. And, uh, you know, I have a dog. I, I've had a dog almost since the first week that my wife and I were married. We've had a dog. And so, yeah, good luck with the cat. I wish you and, and the kids <laughs> lots of luck. Uh, and uh, hopefully it's a, a happy um, home pet situation. But uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with dogs. I'll talk about the cat on future episodes. This will be my ongoing update. Just <laughs> every, t- yeah, every um, time cats come up, we'll get the update. Yes. Okay. So thanks to Sarah for sharing so many details about Facebook ads and her business and her processes. Uh, you know, we both learned a good amount about uh, an area that we definitely could learn a little bit more and improve our skill set in. Uh, to connect with Sarah or learn more about her approach to Facebook ads, go to sarah-sal.com, where, where you'll see an intriguing headline. Uh, I love her headline. Almost guaranteed to keep you reading the rest of her homepage. So go check it out. And we're at the end of another show. If you like what you've heard, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Our intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter-songwriter David Muntner. And you can learn more about programs like the Copywriter Underground, which Sarah is a member of, and the Copywriter Think Tank, which we talked about at the very beginning of the episode, by visiting thecopywriterclub.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money.